Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes, which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. We are in Revelation chapter 12 tonight. Moving along, we have covered verses 1 through 6. So we will continue to move along in Revelation chapter 12. And we are, of course, in the process of traveling through this book verse by verse. We are about the halfway point, maybe a little past right now. This is lesson number 21. And, of course, as we all get on the same page here, we do remember that the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John, who was the longest lived of the disciples. He was, in the latter years of his life, exiled to the prison island of Patmos by the Roman government simply because he was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and he preached the Lord. Now, when we studied last, we concluded with the first six verses of chapter 12. And in those verses, we saw the symbolism of a woman who was clothed in bright clothing She does not symbolize the mother of Jesus, Mary, but rather she symbolizes the people from whom Jesus came, which is Israel. So this woman in bright clothing uh, symbolizes the nation Israel, the chosen people of God. And this woman is about to give birth to a child. And of course, it stands to reason and it is biblically true that she is ready to give birth to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So... Not Mary, but this is the nation of Israel bringing forth the Messiah. And as we study in the book of Daniel, you'll see that this is going hand in hand with that study uh, as we open Daniel on Sunday mornings. However, as the nation of Israel is bringing forth the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus, there is a dragon that is present, and that dragon is Satan himself. Uh, And the dragon is poised to devour, to destroy this child upon his birth. And of course, we understand that Satan in no way wanted the Son of God to be born because he knew God's plan was that birth was coming so that we might have salvation offered to us through him. So Satan's wicked plan was to destroy Jesus even before or during the time he was born. In Matthew chapter 2, we see how Satan's plan unfolded in that the wise men come to Herod seeking the Christ child following the star, and Herod says, you go and find him and tell me where he is because I want to go and worship him too. One of the biggest lies in all the Bible. Herod did not want to worship the Son of God. He wanted to destroy that coming king. And so Satan's plan unfolded through King Herod as we see it there. And however, we know that that plan did indeed fail. God instructed the Holy Family to leave that area. And while many baby boy children did die, Jesus was taken away and he did not die. That was Satan's plan, but it did indeed fail. Throughout Jesus' ministry on this earth, Satan tried to discount him. Satan tried to maim him. Satan tried to thwart his message and cripple him and seduce him and tempt him. 
However, the mighty Son of God prevailed through every temptation. We think about the culmination of those temptations as Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. It is very interesting to me that Satan twisted and misused Scripture to try to tempt the Son of God into sin. However, Jesus came back with Scripture and he resisted every temptation. However, let me remind you of this. While we see that pinnacle of temptation when Jesus meets Satan in the wilderness, that was not the end of Satan's temptations. Satan did leave him for a time. However, the temptations continued through Jesus' earthly ministry. That was perhaps one of the hardest temptations, but the temptations continued to come. Of course, in utter frustration because Satan could not kill Jesus uh, from his birth on through his life, uh, there was a moment that Satan thought he was victorious. When the plan succeeded that sent Jesus Christ to the old rugged cross, and for a, a little short period of time, Satan thought that he was victorious, that he'd finally killed the Son of God. However, we know that that plan of Satan's failed miserably in that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the grave. The greatest victory uh, that we could ever know. Jesus Christ defeated death, defeated the grave, and ultimately defeated Satan. And I believe it was at that moment that Satan realized that his end was sealed. That he was not going to be the victor. In any sense of the word, when Jesus rose from the dead, that ultimate battle was won. I believe Satan at that point knew that his end was coming. Throughout history, Satan has been foiled and overcome and, and thrashed and slammed and blindsided and broadsided by the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. To say the least, Satan the liar... Satan, the deceiver, cannot succeed in any way in trying to overtake the living God. We see that in God's Word. Now, in the latter part of chapter 12, we see, and this is on your sheet, there is a war that is arising in heaven. Now, remember as I preach through Revelation that we are seeing future events that are going to take place as God reclaims his ownership and leadership of his creation, of his earth, and of his universe. God is dealing with and judging evil and wickedness and sin and death and the grave and hell. And God is judging Satan's age-old rebellion. We know the end of this book that God Almighty is going to win this battle. Do you remember in the... Uh, one of the uh, lessons that we had a couple of weeks back that I said the climax of the book is actually in chapter 11. If you want to see some climactic verses of Revelation, look at Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 and 16. In the prior chapter, it says this, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God. So in those climactic verses, what you're seeing is the transfer 
that the kingdoms of the world become the kingdoms of God. That's exactly the flow of Revelation. God is reclaiming this world as king and as judge. We see that climax there. But while we see that as one of the climactic passages of Revelation, there are still skirmishes, there are still fightings, there are still battles yet to come. Satan is going to go down fighting and kicking and screaming. So we reach the point tonight now where we study. Revelation chapter 12, we're looking at verses 7 through 17, and here we're seeing this description of the war in heaven. Here, these words, bear in mind chapter 1, verse 3, that says, whenever we read this word, we are blessed. So here's the blessing for tonight. Here, these words, Revelation 12, 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time." From the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. May God add his blessing to the reading of this precious, precious portion of his word in the book of Revelation chapter 12. Now, as we read about this war in heaven, I am alerted to the fact that while the great tribulation is causing a tumult on the earth, if you remember, as we've studied in the past, the earth is literally dying. Nature is in a turmoil. The sea is losing its life. The grass and the trees and oxygen-producing plants are dying. So nature itself is in the process of death. The governments of the world are in process of tremendous turmoil. Uh, and so the Great Tribulation is bringing great tumult to the earth. But while that is going on on the earth, there is also... A struggle that is going on in heaven that's on your sheet. 
So when I say the church will be raptured out of here, taken out of the great tribulation, that is good news. But when we are by the very throne of God, it is quite possible that we will witness this war that God is finally going to uh, overcome, overtake, and completely judge Satan, the devil himself. Someone who has been attending this study uh, brought up an, uh, an, a point that I'd never thought of before. And by the way, when we finish this study, I'm going to release a few Wednesday nights that you can bring your questions or your observations and uh, how the study has touched you. And that will come at the end of this study. But uh, she came to me at the end of one night and she said, when I think about that passage in Revelation chapter 8, 1 through 4, about the smoke of, of, of the prayers of the people coming up to the throne of God, and of course, we're gathered around that throne. Could it be that the smoke of the prayers maybe will shield us from seeing some of this tumult and some of this war and some of this upheaval never thought of that but that's one of those points that you might want to consider that we might discuss a little later on down the way I can't explain this next fact but it's substantiated in the Bible according to Ezekiel chapter 28 when the angel Lucifer when Satan is rebelling against God in pride God casts Lucifer Satan the devil out of heaven if you remember, he was, a, he was a beautiful angel. He was one of the most well-known, perhaps powerful angels of all of God's creation. And yet in pride, he exalted himself above God and was therefore cast out of heaven. Read that in Ezekiel 28. And yet it seems from that point that somehow Satan still has some form of access to heaven. You see that fact in Job chapter 1 when Satan comes before God to accuse Job, the godly man, Job. Somehow Satan has access to heaven because he can approach Jesus Christ to tempt him. However, Revelation chapter 12 verse 8 tells us that God finally says, Satan, you are out of here. You are never to cross the thresholds of heaven ever again. You will never behold my face again. You will never come into the presence or the place of God again. Verse 9 tells us that Satan is thrown out of heaven and he is thrown down to earth, never to have access to the heavenlies again. Now, the Bible's entire picture of Satan shows him on his way downward. If you look at from the beginning when he's cast out of heaven, his entire trip from the first time that we see him cast out of heaven to the end of Revelation, he is on a downward journey. He fell from his position as an exalted, beautiful angel. It seems that he was the musician of heaven, but he fell from that position. He is then cast out of heaven. It seems early on that somehow he has access back to heaven, back to God, so he can have these conversations with God, primarily thinking about Job as he comes before God to accuse Job. But he's on his way down. He will then be cast into the bottomless pit. Remember, that is that thousand-year prison where Satan will be residing while Jesus reigns on the earth in perfection. But then finally in Revelation, we see that he is finally cast to the lowest pits of the lake of fire. He is cast into hell for all eternity. So Satan's journey in the Bible is always a downward journey. 
Now, in Revelation chapter 12, it gives us a great understanding of how Satan works to draw people away from Jesus. That's before you on your sheet. Satan's plan, Satan's work is to draw people away from Jesus. Look at verse 10 again, Revelation 12, 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Satan in the Bible is called the accuser among many other names. Deceiver, liar, but you'll notice this primary name here in Revelation 12 is accuser. Thinking back to the Testament book of Job, Satan said, God, if you will simply let me tempt Job, he will forsake you. Satan spent time accusing Job as being a weak man, a man who would be prone to sin. If God would just release protection from him and allow Satan to tempt him, he said, he will fall before you. He will fall into sin. He's an accuser. He is accusing Job of being a weak man, being unfaithful under pressure. The devil is still the accuser. Who does he accuse this day? You and me. He accuses us before a holy God. He accuses us constantly before God. His accusations are structured to beat us down, to take away self-worth. Satan can accuse people so badly that they think they have no value before God whatsoever. There are saved people who can feel so accused and so guilty before God that their ministry is halted, it is stopped, it is stunted because the accuser has beaten them down so badly that they can't stand up enough to be a minister. Doesn't mean that he takes away salvation. Satan cannot take away true salvation. Once you are safely in the hand of God, you are there for all eternity. Satan can't take away your salvation, but he can take away your ministry. He can accuse a Christian to the point that he or she feels worthless before God. Satan can take away confidence But praise God, on your sheet, we have an advocate. uh, Jesus is the advocate. Satan is the accuser, but Jesus Christ is our advocate. Satan might accuse us, but Jesus builds us up. Jesus promises us that when we are forgiven, we are lifted up that we might serve him, that we might live our lives for him, that we might reach out with his love to other people. He saves us. And he enables us that we might reach out to someone else. If you remember, as he builds us up, Psalm 103, verse 17, he doesn't save us for a few days or a few months or for a lifetime. He saves us for eternity. And Psalm 103 says he saves us from everlasting to everlasting. It is an eternal salvation. Now, in in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, we see the Bible's formula for victory over Satan. Don't miss this. The Bible's formula for victory over Satan, if you write in your Bible, is in verse 11. I would encourage you to circle it, star it, underline it, but this is an important verse. Look at this verse, 12:11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, 
and they love not their lives unto the death. We overcome the devil in three ways, according to verse 11. Number one, we conquer him through Calvary. We conquer him through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, I do want to impress upon you that uh, we always come at Satan through Jesus Christ. Don't ever take him on yourself. You and I come before Satan as uh, victors through Jesus Christ who defeated him at Calvary. Jesus died on the cross that we might be forgiven and Satan's accusations have no power over grace. First way we overcome Satan is through Calvary. The second way we conquer Satan is by confession. Confession. What's the first part of Romans 10, 9? If we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord. We speak witness. We speak those words of affirmation that Christ loves us and that Christ is using us as a witness and as a minister. Anytime your witness goes out to someone, anytime you mention Jesus' name to someone, anytime you minister in Jesus' name, whether it be something that you might consider major or minor, whatever you do in his name, you are bulldozing into Satan's territory. You are short-circuiting what Satan is doing against that person when you or I speak or reach out in Jesus' name to that one. We're conquering Satan by word of witness. When we share Jesus with someone else, we are conquering the accuser. That's the second thing. So Calvary, confession, and the third way we conquer Satan is by commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We will serve Jesus no matter the outcome. Do you see the last part of verse 11? And they love not their lives unto the death, simply meaning that those who take a stand for Jesus Christ will stand even if it brings them to physical death. There will be no compromise. There will be no retreat. There will be no stepping back. The people of God will stand even if it brings us earthly death. We are going to be committed that greatly before the Lord. And if we have that kind of commitment to say, Lord, I will stand for you to the moment I die, we are defeating Satan. Satan cannot stand against courage in Jesus Christ. Now let's get back to this war in heaven. God has now denied Satan any access to heaven or to the saints. He is thrown to the earth. And when he lands here, Scripture says that he is full of anger. He is full of hatred, full of wrath. He knows his end is near. And he is absolutely vicious, hating all people. He makes war against every person on this earth. But he particularly hates the Jew. It's on your sheet. He particularly hates the nation of Israel, the Jews. Now, why does Satan hate the Jews so much? As we go back to the beginning of their study, because the Jewish race is the one that brought forth Jesus the Christ. When Satan is thrown back to the earth, he is going to exhibit utter hatred toward all people. Now, I guess the question maybe that crosses our mind is, why does Satan hate people so much? 
And the answer to that is because ultimately Satan hates God. Satan hates God. And if you want to hurt a parent, what's the best way to do that? Hurt their child. Satan acts against people and particularly against those who belong to the Lord through salvation. He acts against us against us because he hates our father so very much. And the way to hurt the father is to hurt the children. Satan can't hurt God. And so he gets to God by hurting his children. So Satan attacks the children, the people of God, in order to wound God Almighty. Now, we can think of two, two kinds of people. J. Vernon McGee said the saints and the ain'ts. Those who are saved and those who are unsaved. However, in a certain sense, all people by birth are children of God. Psalm 139, it says that every baby is knit together in the mother's womb. So in, in a sense of creation, all people belong to God. God is their creator. The thumbprint of God is on every baby. Saved, unsaved person, the thumbprint of God is on every person. And so Satan wants to keep the unsaved unsaved. And he wants to accuse the saved so that our ministry does not reach out to the unsaved. He wants to hurt all people, saved and unsaved alike. God grieves when Satan gets the upper hand in any person's life. You remember 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 that says that God doesn't desire that any one person perish. God does not desire that any person go to hell. So when Satan gains control in a life, be it through alcohol or drugs or adultery or lying or envy or malice or hatred, whatever it might be, perhaps it's the worship of money or possessions, whatever takes a person away from the lordship of Jesus Christ brings God grief, sadness. God never desires to lose one to the accuser. I want you to notice in these last days of Satan that the devil is going to particularly pursue Israel. The last three and a half years of the great tribulation on this earth is going to be horrific for the Jews. But we remember earlier in the study that during the great tribulation, 144,000 chosen ones are going to take the gospel as witnesses into the world. And it was 12,000 from every tribe of the nation of Judah. So this is a Jewish witnessing force that has come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're going as witnesses to the world. And it says that un uncounted numbers of people are saved through their witness. Satan hates them. The Jew who has come to Christ witnessing for the Lord. Now, in Revelation 12, God does say that while Satan hates the Jews with great animosity, that God protects them during this period of time. Uh, in Revelation 12, it says that God will guard or protect, on your sheet, the Jews. You see in verse 14 that God gives this woman, Israel, wings to fly away from Satan, symbolizing God's guarding his Jewish uh, people during the time of the Great Tribulations. Wing, wings often uh, apply to protection in the Bible. Psalm 91 verse 4 says, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings uh, shalt thou trust. God uses the, the imagery of wings as protection. 
So Revelation 12 shows us Satan in a rage. The devil, the serpent, the accuser is pitted against every human being. And that certainly includes you and me in this day and in this age. There is nothing that Satan would rather do than drag people to hell simply because that stabs God. So tonight, if there's one person in this sanctuary or one person somewhere down the road who will listen to this study and you've never come to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we stand against Satan and we stand against him accusing you of sin and we offer you the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We offer that because we understand it. We are sinners who have been forgiven. And if you've never received him as your savior, this is the moment that you can come to him. The truth is revealed in the Bible that God wants you to be his child. And he claims your life through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as Lord and savior. Now, let me ask you this. When we, when we see the Bible's picture of Satan as the deceiver, uh, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, that is a name that is given to him, the deceiver. So many people think that Satan is going to show up in their life uh, and he's going to be wearing red pajamas and have a tail and a forked pitchfork and a, a forked tongue. Is that true? There's nowhere in the Bible that Satan is described in that way. Uh, rather, write down this scripture because I know you've heard it uh, and you may know where it is, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, it says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. The description that we see in the Bible is Satan as attractive, Satan as desirable. I think it was Adrian Rogers years ago in the uh, a sermon that I heard probably on a radio riding along in a car that said, if you, if you look for Satan in the Bible having a pitchfork and forked tongue, you're going to find that description of Satan in the same chapter that you find the description of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> it's just not there. That description is not there. Satan is the deceiver. Satan lies as an angel of light appearing to be something that he truly is not. What we see in Revelation is this is war. It is war in the Great Tribulation, but it is war now. We are fighting for souls now. There are souls in your life and in my life that are standing on the brink of hell now, and Satan is accusing him or her. And we need to break through with the love of Jesus Christ as witnesses. We need to share that good news so don't let Satan win in your spouse's life. Don't let Satan win in your child's life, your family member's life, your neighbor's life, your co-worker's life, that person you love, that life. Don't let Satan win. You come to that one through the advocate Jesus Christ. And you and I are called to give the good news there. And when we do that, we deliver the knockout punch to old Satan, the deceiver. We come because of Calvary. We come because of a confession of a Savior, and we come because of a commitment to serve Him as witnesses. I pray the Lord will build you and me up to be that kind of witness in this world that needs a Savior.